Okay, well, before we begin, I, I just wanted to thank those of you um, who helped uh, in any way. Yesterday, we had our monthly food distribution outreach right out here in the parking lot, and uh, it was very encouraging. It had a, a very good turnout, I don't know, probably 25 to 30 volunteers, and we distributed 80 boxes of food again in about two hours, so we had a steady stream of cars and people coming. A lot of good gospel conversations with many people, very encouraging. We had a number of people who expressed a desire to come to church even today, so hopefully we may see some people. If you see somebody you don't recognize, uh, try to reach out to them and extend a welcome to them. And it was also a little encouraging just to see some synergy, I think, that's kind of developing between some of uh, the different uh, outreaches that we have uh, going on. I know a group went downtown Friday night and did some evangelism uh, downtown, and, and uh, um, I understand it was quite a time and there was a lot of opposition. But um, as a result of that uh, outreach, uh, Justin met a man, a homeless man, who uh, came yesterday morning. Uh, Justin picked him up to, our, to the food distribution. We were able to give him some food and spend some time with him, and I believe he's going to be here this morning. So... Um, we could pray for that man. Also, another we had a gentleman that came from a um, an Afghan man from the Muslim Center, um, who uh, Daniel Alcala is ministering to, and Daniel had put a Facebook ad out to targeting Muslims, telling them about the food distribution. This gentleman came, at least he came. I don't know if any others did, and uh, I had a really good conversation with this man, very open um, to talking about the gospel, and he parked his car out here for a while. So, uh, so it was encouraging. So let's continue to pray that. God might work in these various ministries, and we would see people converted, see people saved here on the east side here in San Antonio, as well as uh, in foreign lands. Uh, so a few weeks ago, when I, when I taught last, I did a um, kind of a review and a summary of 1 Peter chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 15, and I said that I wanted to continue that study of 1 Peter. Um, and uh, that was my intention when I said that, and I, I do plan to uh, to do that, but sometimes our plans change, so I, I misspoke. I didn't lie. That was my intention, but I misspoke. So, uh, But today what I'd like to do is do more of a, a topical message, and this is something that has been preached on uh, here before. I know a couple years ago James did a message on this subject. Um, I did a sermon about 11 years ago on this. Uh, but, you know, we've had a number of new visitors and uh, new members, you know, in the last several months, um, even up to the last year or so. So I think this is something that will be profitable for, for all of us. So what I want to talk about is the subject of Christian hospitality, Christian hospitality. Now, you may say or you may think, you know, that doesn't sound terribly exciting. That doesn't sound like a very deep doctrinal topic. Uh, you know, maybe I, you'd rather hear something about uh, regeneration or justification or predestination or the person and work of Christ, all very important subjects. But the truth of the matter is the Bible does have quite a bit to say regarding uh, the Christian duty and grace of hospitality. So I think this is a practical subject that's well worth our study, and I hope that we'll all benefit from some instruction. So let me give you just a couple of definitions as we get in. Uh, the, the dictionary, Webster's, defines hospitality as um, hospitable treatment, reception, or disposition, and it defines being hospitable as given to generous and cordial reception of guests. That's one definition. Another one is promising or suggesting generous and cordial welcome. 
And then another definition is offering a pleasant or sustaining environment. Okay, uh, so that's kind of the secular idea definition. And we we generally know what you know what hospitality is, right? But uh, it's interesting, and you may know this or you may not know this, but the Greek word that is translated hospitality in the New Testament, it's found about four or five times, is the word phylloxenia, phylloxenia. Um, but it's a compound word. It's made up of two Greek words, phylos and xenia or xenos. And if, if those two words, they may sound familiar to you. Phylos is the word... Um, or phileo, that's, that's the common Greek word for love, right? Brotherly love, phileo, Philadelphia, right? Xenos or xenia um, is a Greek word for strangers. So the word literally means, for hospitality, means the love of strangers. You know, and, and I was thinking of another word, I mean, that xenophobia, maybe you've heard that word, xenophobia. What does that mean? That means the a fear of strangers. So some people have something that's, you know, it's actually classified as a phobia, a fear of strangers. Well, uh, this word is the exact opposite. It's the love of strangers. And so the idea of being hospitable, the hospitable is to be given to generous and cordial reception of guests into your home. And then from the Greek word, we learn that it means specifically to have a love for strangers, people you don't know very well. All right. So why should we be concerned... as Christians to engage in hospitality? Well, there's several reasons, so let me give you several. Okay, one is, and, and you, again, you may be aware of this, but uh, we, are, uh, we are commanded to. In a number of places in the New Testament, we are given a specific command to be hospitable. Um, and in First Peter is one of those. Um, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll look at this passage just uh, briefly. First Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Now, we haven't gotten there yet in our study of 1 Peter, but we will eventually. Um, so but this is what Peter says there in, in that passage. And this is one of the passages, you know, there are four passages in the New Testament that speaks of spiritual gifts. And so this is one of those passages. So 1 Peter 4, verse 7, Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter tells us here, he says, in light of the end of all things being at hand, in verse 7, uh, he gives us a list of things that we are to do as believers. He gives us a list of commands that we should be doing uh, in light of the end of all things being at hand. And he says, tell, he tells us several things. He tells us we need to be self-controlled and we should be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Okay, if we want our prayers to be effectual and effective, we need to be sober-minded, self-controlled. Then he says, above all, love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he gives another, this is an imperative statement, this is a command, 
And, and, he, and I think he's showing us a specific way that we can obey this command to love one another earnestly. How's one way we can love one another earnestly that we are to, to do above everything else? He says, show hospitality to one another. And then he says, without grumbling, all right, which is very interesting. Uh, so w- what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that implies that, that it is possible then to show hospitality, to be hospitable, and yet to have to do it with grumbling or complaining, right? Or to have an attitude that that is one of, uh, uh, you know, complaining or not wanting to really do this, right? And so, you know, I was thinking, well, how would, how would that manifest itself? You know, having a an attitude of grumbling or complaining. Well, maybe here's an example. Maybe maybe you think you you think or you say to your spouse, well, you know, we if we invite you know that new family that's been visiting the church for a while, if we invite them over uh, for dinner, you know, they've got all those kids. Uh, something is sure to break or one of those something is somebody's going to spill something. So, you know, I mean, I guess we should invite them over. That's really the right thing to do. But I'm going to watch those kids like a hawk. OK. All right. Well, that might be an added, you know, a, a murmuring or complaining. Right. And so um, this is what um, a commentator, uh, Albert Barnes, he says about this idea of showing hospitality without grumbling or complaining. He says, It is that we are to do it without murmuring or complaining. It greatly enhances the value of hospitality that it be done on our part with entire cheerfulness. One of the duties involved in it is to make a guest happy. And this can be done in no other way than by showing him that he or she is welcome. Okay, so this is a command that we're given and we should do it um, in such a way as to to make people feel welcome in our home. Uh, there's another passage that you may be familiar with in, in the book of Romans, Romans 12, which is also another chapter that uh, addresses spiritual gifts, interestingly. And Paul writes in Romans 12, if you want to you want to turn there, you can. We'll look at this, Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Romans 12. So Paul says something very very similar to what Peter says in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, right? So here's another uh, command in this list of commands, things that we are to be doing as Christians, right? Uh, to demonstrate the reality of our faith, we should be seeking to show hospitality. That word seek to show there, it means to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to, to acquire. Uh, another translation for this verse says uh, we are to pursue hospitality, right? To, to go after it. Um, the New King James and the King James Version read, uh, be given to hospitality, right? So to be given to something, what does that mean? Well, that means to be devoted to it, right? So if we are to be devoted to hospitality, we should be eagerly pursuing opportunities to demonstrate hospitality on a regular basis, okay? So I'm reading a book right now, a very interesting book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, 
Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. It's kind of a long title, but the author is Rosaria Butterfield. Is anybody familiar with her? A few of you? Okay, yeah. So, very interesting woman. Uh, she, her first book, um, she's written a couple books, was called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. So she's an author and a speaker. She's married to a Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina. But what's very interesting about her, her story is her background. So, so she came from a very secular, feminist, lesbian background before her conversion. Uh, she was a tenured professor in the Women's Studies program at Syracuse University in New York. She had a Ph.D., I think, in Women's Studies. She, was, she taught there for 10 years. While she was there, she advised the um, LGBT student group. She wrote the university's policy for same-sex couples, and she actively lobbied for LGBT goals along with her lesbian partner. Okay, So that's, that's her background. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about uh, the role that Christian hospitality played in her really r- pretty remarkable conversion. Um, but for now, I just want to share a quote from this book that she's written now on practicing um, uh, radically ordinary hospitality. So this is what she says. She says, God calls us to practice hospitality as a daily way of life, not as an occasional activity as time and finance allow. Radically ordinary Hospitality means this. God promises <clears throat> promises to put the lonely in families, from Psalm 68, verse 6, and he intends to use your house as living proof. Okay, so one reason why should we, we be concerned about this idea of hospitality is, well, because we're commanded to. Several places in the New Testament we're given very specific commands to pursue, to, uh, to demonstrate hospitality without grumbling or complaining. All right, what's another reason? Well, because hospitality is a, a test of true Christian character. Uh, and it's an evidence of true saving faith. And where do we, where do we see that? Where do we know that? Well, Matthew chapter 25, you're familiar with that passage. Uh, Jesus describes the final judgment and he talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats. And he says, and you can just listen um, to this passage. He says in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, he writes, or he says, Jesus, Matthew records, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, so according to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether or not we practice hospitality, especially to the least of our brothers and sisters, will be made manifest at the day of judgment and will determine whether we enter into eternal life or eternal death. That's that's what he says. Now, it's not that, you know, we understand. It's not that we are saved by our works. 
We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, right? But true saving faith will produce works of righteousness and sacrificial love, one of which, which is hospitality toward the least of our brethren. Okay, so that's uh, an important reason we should be concerned to pursue it. Uh, another passage in the New Testament you're probably familiar with, 1 Timothy 5. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, you can just listen, 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. This is where Paul is instructing the church uh, as to the character of a true widow whom the church should care for. Okay, so he's giving some instruction. If there, are widow, there, are, there were widows in the church, or there are widows in the church, who, you know, what should we look for to, to determine how these women should be cared for, or, or if the church should step in and care for them? Well, he says in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, in verse 10, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. All right. So this is a criteria for uh, for the church determining whom the church should care for. One of those criteria is that the, the, this widow needs to have a reputation for good works, and she needs to be someone who has shown hospitality. Right. And it made me think a little bit of uh, of the widow Tabitha in Acts nine. You remember that whom Peter raises from the dead. And what are we told about Tabitha? Well, we're told that she was full of good works and acts of charity. Right? So, so hospitality is an evidence of true godly character. And it's a mark of genuine saving faith. All right. So what's another reason we should be concerned to pursue hospitality? Well, hospitality is one of the qualifications set forth um, in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, for those who would aspire to be an elder in the church, right? It's, it's a requirement. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, um, I'll just read the first three verses. You can, if you want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. First Timothy 3, 1 through 3 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, uh, the King James says given to hospitality, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And then he goes on and lists some other, other qualifications. So I don't think Paul is setting forth, you know, these qualifications in necessarily any order of importance because they're all important and they're all necessary. But it's interesting that he talks about being hospitable. That's listed as a, as a requirement right before being able to teach or apt to teach. And so, um, um, so again, so, you know, all Christians are called to be hospitable, to demonstrate hospitality, but it's a special duty and requirement of pastors who are to be examples of all of these character traits, right? So again, they're not required, you know, required to be perfect, but they are to be examples, uh, and specifically examples of hospitality to their flocks. Uh, one commentator I read, he makes the comment that about that this verse, he says, an elder is to be addicted to hospitality, which I thought was interesting, uh, which is just another way of saying that he should be given to or devoted to hospitality. Okay, so that's another reason that this is important. All right, um, a fourth reason that we should be concerned to show and to pursue and, and to um, engage more in hospitality is 
that because by demonstrating hospitality, Hebrews tells us that some have entertained angels without knowing it, right? You remember that passage? Hebrews 13, verse 2. If you want to turn there, you can, or I'll just, I'll read it. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Hebrews 13, verse 2, we read, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. All right, and that's a reference, a specific reference to, uh, to Abraham and Lot in Genesis 18 and 19, um, who both they entertained angels, men that came to them, uh, angels in the form of men, and they didn't realize who they were, but they were blessed by the angels for their hospitality. They both invited them into their homes and had meals. And so the motive that's given in this verse uh, for being hospitable is that by entertaining someone, particularly a stranger, uh, someone you don't know very well, uh, is that perhaps you may be honored with the presence of someone whose company will, to be, you, will be a great blessing to you, uh, a blessing you would not otherwise have known. Right. And so I don't know necessarily if this is saying that, you know, you're going to actually have an angel come visit you. I, I guess that's possible. But the point is that you're going to re- you, you could receive a blessing that you would not have known if you had not taken the step of, of demonstrating hospitality to a stranger. And that's been my experience. Right. Not that we've ever I don't, I don't think we've ever, ever actually had any uh, angels in our home. I don't know. Maybe. But but there have been times, you know, I thought we've we've been com- we've committed to having a family come to stay with us for a period of time. Some family that's coming to visit the church or they're coming from out of town. And, you know, I thought this is going to interfere with our regular routine. It's going to interfere with our privacy. Uh, I'm not sure this is really a good idea right now. I've, I've had those thoughts. I've, I've, I've grumbled a little bit. Okay. But invariably, once you have people in your home, you begin spending time with them. You get to know them. You get to know their children. You hear their testimony. You learn about their struggles, which often are very similar to our own. Uh, you begin spending time praying with them and enjoying genuine fellowship with them. I'm, I'm always I'm thankful that we've had them in our homes, right? So that's another motive that we ought to pursue hospitality is because we may receive a blessing that you would ever, otherwise not receive. Okay, another one that I think is important that I want to spend a little more time on is because hospitality is, is an aid to evangelism. It's an aid to evangelism. You know, it's relatively easy to to pass out tracts, to talk to people on the streets, maybe even to try to evangelize on social media, because usually there's not much emotional or time commitment involved beyond the actual time you spend speaking with them, which, you know, generally you can end at any time, right? And so, um, and, and not that we shouldn't do those things, we should, but but, but generally it takes it's going to take more time it's going to take more emotional effort and more financial cost to invite somebody, invite a neighbor or a stranger or someone you've just met into your home. But this can be a very powerful tool for evangelism. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. One is we had a friend in Florida. He was a deacon at the church there, um, a dear brother. And um, he he shared how when he first began coming to the church there, he was not, not saved, he wasn't a Christian, but he began coming and the fact that so many church members invited him over to their house for a meal 
the first couple of weeks or months that he was there, that, that God used that uh, to, to bring him to saving faith. And, you know, even more, he, he couldn't remember the sermons that he heard, but he remembered the hospitality, the love of people inviting him into his home. And so God used that. Obviously, he had to hear the gospel. He had to repent. He had to believe. But God used that as a means of bringing him to, to salvation. Now, and this was also the testimony of that author I mentioned earlier, Rosaria Butterfield. And it's really, it's just remarkable, you know, reading about her conversion. So in 1997, she was this radical feminist, and she was a leader in the LG. BTQ movement, okay? And this is what her view of Christians was at that time, 1997. She she writes this in her book. She says, Christians seemed like a small-minded, uncharitable, immoral bunch. They ate meat, believed in corporal punishment, violated human and environmental rights at a fevered pitch, denied a woman's right to choose, and believed that the whole world should fall under the totalitarian obedience to the Bible, an ancient book fraught with racism, sexism, and homophobia. Okay, that was her view of Christians. Right? That's a mouthful. She, she was an English professor, so, you know, she writes quite descriptively. So she wrote an article back at, this is 1997, in the local uh, Syracuse newspaper. And the article was criticizing a movement called Promise Keepers. Some of you remember that back in the 1990s? Promise Keepers, anybody? Okay, it was a Christian movement. It was uh, geared towards men. It was a men's movement, and they, I don't know, they, they would have you know meetings in, in stadiums together, and I think uh, Bill McCartney kind of started that. So anyway, it was kind of popular at that time, this Christian men's movement. So she wrote an article in the newspaper criticizing this movement as being you know backward and a threat to democracy. So she writes this letter, and it's published in the newspaper, and she, so she received a lot of hate mail, you know, commonly, as she called it, right? But one of the letters she received was a letter from a pastor named Ken Smith. So this pastor wrote a letter to her and, and I guess, you know, opposing what she had to say. But she said that his letter was the kindest letter of opposition she had ever received. All right. So not only did this pastor take the time to write her a letter, he went a step further and he invited her to come to his house to have dinner with him and his wife. Um, and at the time, she was writing a book on the religious right and their policies and practices of hatred against people like her. Okay, so she was writing a book. <clears throat> and so in order to write the book, she realized that she needed to read the Bible herself. If she's going to, you know, criticize and con- condemn the Bible, she needed to read it herself. And she also needed that she, she realized that she needed to interview some wacko who really believed the Bible was the Word of God. Okay, so she agreed to go to this pastor's house for dinner solely so she could do research for her book, Condemning Christianity, okay? But God had other plans for her. So she writes this. Nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and for the love of Jesus made manifest by the daily practices of hospitality undertaken in this one simple Christian home. This Christian home became my two-year refuge and way station. Long before I ever walked through the doors of the church, The Smith home was the place where I wrestled with the Bible, with the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and eventually came face to face with him on the glittering knife's edge of my choice sexual sin. This Christian home is where I've wrestled with my sexual identity and where I first dared ask the questions, is being a lesbian who I really am, or is it how the fall of Adam made me? Is it my authentic identity or the distorted one that came through the power of Adam's imputed and original sin to render my deep and primal feelings untrustworthy and untrue. 
Uh, it's on page 50 of her book. So, so two years later, she's converted, and she becomes a new creature in Christ. Uh, she forsakes her old lifestyle. She leaves her tenured position at the university. She leaves her partner to follow Christ. And then eventually she meets and she marries her husband, who's a Presbyterian minister. And now they have a couple of kids and she writes and speaks and travels and does things with her husband. So, but what was the human instrument that God used to draw this feminist, liberal, outspoken, LGBTQ spokesperson to saving faith in Christ? Well, she, she says in her, own, in her own words, the simple Christian hospitality of this pastor and his wife, who she was a complete stranger to. You know, and, and I was thinking, you know, would, would she have gone to a church to hear the gospel? Or would she have listened to a Paul Washer sermon uh, or even read a gospel tract? Well, well, probably not. All right. But she was willing to go to a Christian home for a meal. You know, and I, and I thought, well, how many of us would have invited a woman like this into our homes? Right. Um, so so hospitality can be a tremendous aid to our evangelism. OK, how else can hospitality help? Evangelism. Well, not only to the unconverted guest who's brought into a Christian home and exposed to the realities of the gospel lived out in daily life, but hospitality can also be a means to the salvation of unconverted, unconverted family members in your home, in the home of, of the host. You know, if you invite a Christian, either uh, maybe, maybe particularly somebody you don't know very well or maybe someone you do know well into your home, that person might be the instrument God uses to convert your children or other unsaved household family members. And this is what that the commentator Albert Barnes, again, he says about this. He says, It is not well for us to miss the opportunity of the presence, the conversation, and the prayers of the good. The influence of such guests in a family is worth more than it costs to entertain them. If there, is a, if there is danger that we may sometimes receive those of an opposite character, yet it is not wise on account of such possible danger to lose the opportunity of entertaining those whose presence would be a blessing. Many a parent owes the conversion of a child to the influence of a pious stranger in his family. And the hope that this may occur or that our own souls may be blessed should make us ready at all proper times to welcome the feet of the stranger to our doors. All right. And I was even thinking, you know, from our own life, just some example of, uh, you know, we're blessed to have some um, Christians that live on our property. You know, they don't live in the same house as we do, but they're, you know, we're on the same property. So we kind of interact and we um, fellowship together and spend time together. And, and I'm thankful for them because one of the reasons I'm thankful is because a couple of the, uh, we've got a single brother and a family that live back there and, and they, they like to play basketball and so sometimes we'll have other single guys come over. They like to hang out. They like to play basketball. And we were, we're glad that they come. And, and one of the benefits of doing that is, you know, my children like to play basketball. And so they'll, they'll be out there together, hanging out, spending time. Uh, maybe they'll run to QT. Well, they, they will about, about daily run to QT to get a slushy, right? Or pick up a hamburger at Burger Boy and, and, uh, and our sons and our daughter will, will go with this one single brother in particular. And so, but what does that do? Well, that opens up opportunities to discuss spiritual truths, right? And to share your testimony with, with them. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful. I appreciate, and, you know, and this helps to complement, you know, the spiritual truths that our children hear from us, right? And sometimes they don't want to hear too much from, from our parents. They've heard enough, right? So, but to hear it from another brother or sister that, that maybe, maybe is even a little closer in age to them can be very beneficial, right? So 
Um, so I'm thankful for that. And so God could use hospitality as a means of not only bringing salvation to a stranger, somebody you invite into your home, but some Christian who comes into your home that has some begins to have an influence in your family, God could use for the salvation of your family members, right? All right, so that's, I think, a very powerful reason that we ought to be devoted to and pursue, seek to show hospitality, all right? Okay, so to whom should we especially show hospitality? What what categories of people? Well, we've kind of discussed this already. Uh, one is uh, strangers. I mean, people that you don't know that well. Uh, we're, we're Hebrews thirteen two. We just looked at that, right? Tells tells us that some by, you know, by entertaining strangers, some have have um, have entertained angels unaware, and, and and even you know the word itself, right? It means the love of strangers. So we should seek out you know not just the people that we know well and that we like. Which sometimes can happen, you know, I, I find that even in our own lives, sometimes you, you, you can get into a little bit of rut, you like people, you know people, you're comfortable with them, and you just, you have them over, you enjoy your, and, and it's, it, it can be the same group of people, right? So, you know, we, but we ought to make an effort to seek to show hospitality to those who are strange to us. Um, so that's one group of people we ought to especially seek out, right? You know, maybe visitors, somebody you just, you don't know very well. Another group of people that we should seek to show hospitality to are the poor. We're specifically told to do that uh, in a couple places in the Bible. In, in Isaiah 58, 6 and 7, you can, um, you want to turn there, you can. This is a well-known passage, or I'll read it. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. The Lord says, he's describing the true fast that pleases God. What does he say about that fast? He says, is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And verse 7 of Isaiah 58, Is it not that the fast that pleases God, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? All right. So we should have a particular desire to seek out those who are uh, who are hungry to give them bread and even in, to invite them, uh, invite them into our home, right? Either either for a meal or or to stay. All right. So the poor we are we are to to pursue hospitality towards. Another another passage in the New Testament where Jesus teaches the same thing is in Luke fourteen thirteen. Luke fourteen verse thirteen. <clears throat> Jesus. He says to a man there uh, who had invited him to a banquet, Jesus gives some instruction to him, this, this man. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay? So we should particularly seek out those to show hospitality to those to, to whom you, we know are not likely going to be able to re- reciprocate. Okay? People that, that, you know, they're not going to probably invite you over to their home because they don't, they don't have a home or they've got a small, or they don't have the means or whatever. So, so those who cannot repay you, those are the kind of people that we ought to seek out specifically to, to pursue and to demonstrate hospitality towards. All right. Um, another category of people, you know, whom should we seek to, to have hospitality with, pursue hospitality towards? Well, uh, we're specifically told towards other believers, right? Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, 10 says, 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? So we need to, uh, to find opportunities and ways of showing hospitality to other, other believers. All right. All right, well, let me give you just um, a couple of examples of, of hospitality from, from the Bible. Some of these are familiar, some are maybe not, but just, um, and, and you can just listen. I don't think we'll take the time to turn these, to these verses, but um, in Genesis 18, verses 3 through 8, that's the account of Abraham. Uh, that, that, that verse in Hebrews 13 really is a reference to, I believe. The, the three angels appear to Abraham in the form of men. One of them is probably the pre-incarnate Christ. And Abraham, very quickly, he takes a young, tender calf and he prepares a meal for them. He invites these strangers into his home and he, and he prepares a meal, a good meal for them. All right? He gets the best steak out of the freezer that they've been saving for the family cookout. All right? and, he, and he uses it to prepare a meal for these strangers. Uh, in, in the next chapter, uh, Genesis 19, we have the same uh, situation with Lot. So the same angels, or two of those same angels that continue on to Sodom. Genesis 19, verses 2 and 3. Lot constrains them to stay with him, and he prepares a feast for them. And verse 3 says that he pressed them strongly to spend the night with him. All right, So he was insistent that they come into his home, and he demonstrated hospitality to these angels. Uh, another passage, maybe you, you remember this one, um, uh, the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4, verses 8 through 17. She was the woman, um, 2 Kings 4, 8 through 17, you could jot that down. She was the wealthy woman who provided food and uh, shelter for the prophet Elisha whenever he passed by her house on his way to Shunem. And she even went to the extent of making a room for him on the roof of their house so that he would have a place to stay whenever he passed by that way. And she put a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp, I think, in that room on, on their house. And as a result of her hospitality, uh, Elisha asked his servant Gehazi what she needs. And he responds that this woman has no children and that her husband is old. And so Elisha, you remember, he prophesied that she will conceive a bear a son in her old age. And that occurs about a year later. All right. So there's an example of, of someone showing, showing hospitality uh, and being very, um, you know, proactive about her hospitality, right? Uh, another example, that, that reminds me of, there's a family I've, that we know in Switzerland, some of you know, and I, I know that they were planning to do that. I think he told me they were going to put a, they were going to build something on, on the, I know it was on the roof of their house or in the back of their house, specifically designed so they could have people over. They could have guests come into their home, right? Um, another example from the Bible, uh, Job. Job made a habit of, of demonstrating hospitality to strangers. How do we know that? Job 31, verse 32 Job 31, verse 32, we read, he's, Job is, is speaking, he says, The sojourner, the traveler, has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. Right? So that was a practice and a habit of, of Job. Uh, another one in the New Testament um, is uh, Zacchaeus. Remember in Luke 19, verse 6, Luke 19, verse 6, this is the account of Jesus coming to Zacchaeus. I'll, I'll just read this to you. And, and in verse 5, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, received Christ joyfully. 
And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner, because Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, right? He would, he would have been despised by the other Jews. And so then Zacchaeus demonstrates his genuine repentance, and Jesus declares to him, today salvation has come to this house. All right? So he, he welcomed very quickly Christ into his home. Another example, just, just, I'm just kind of giving you a sampling here. You know, you can do a search later for other examples. But uh, uh, Lydia, remember Lydia, right? In Acts 16, verse 15, what are we told about Lydia? Well, we're told uh, in verses 14 and 15, God opens her heart to understand and to believe the gospel. Verse 14, right? And then in verse 15, we read, and after Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 16, verse 15, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay. And I was thinking, you know, she would not have had a lot of advanced theological instruction yet at this point in her life. Right. But she desired to show hospitality to Paul and his companions, and she prevailed upon She insisted that they come to her house and stay with her. Okay? And again, I think this is, this is a mark of people who have been genuinely converted. Uh, another example in the book in the New Testament is uh, Gaius in 3 John. We don't know a lot about Gaius, 3 John, verses 5 and 6. But we're told this. Uh, we read John writes in, in that little little epistle, beloved, it is a faithful uh, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And so again, we don't know much about this this person Gaius, but 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 his hospitality to strangers is recorded in Scripture for our instruction, right, and for our edification. Okay, so those are some examples from the Bible, and maybe you can think of others as well. So let me just give uh, kind of some, in conclusion, some concluding thoughts and applications. And a lot of these are probably kind of self-evident, but... So hospitality is something that all Christians are called to... um, you know, regardless of your stage of life, right? I mean, regardless of whether you're, you know, a young single person or you're an older married person, we're all called to to demonstrate hospitality. And I was I was thinking uh, when I was uh, single back in Florida, um, we had a family that that would drive about an hour or an hour and a half or so to come to our church, and we had an evening service. So we'd we'd have the service, you know, the morning service. And um, and then we'd have an evening service at five or six. And so so this family drove an hour, an hour and a half. They were it was a young couple. I think they had a, maybe a couple kids. And so but, you know, they, it was too far for them to drive back and then and then come back. So they would uh, either stay at the church or they would you know be invited over to somebody's house. Right. And so I, I had a desire as a single person to to demonstrate hospitality. And so I invited this this couple over and their their kids. And I I, I wasn't a good cook at all. Um, I think I, if I remember, I, I bought some frozen quiches and we served frozen quiche. All right. But um, but they they appreciated the hospitality and it was a good opportunity for me to get to know them and them to get to know me. So so and I'm thankful that I, I know that a lot of our the singles, I, I think, really do demonstrate hospitality in, in our church. And that's a blessing. But I just want to encourage all of us, you know, regardless of where you are, your station, uh, you can you can show hospitality in some way. And, and we're called to do that. Right. 
All right, another thought is an application. You know, this, it, it, you know, it doesn't, the whole idea is not to, uh, you know, uh, kind of stress out about over what you're going to serve or the meal or your, you know, your china. Well, that's really not important. I mean, you know, you could serve paper plates, invite people over and, 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 you know, have pizza on paper plates, right? Or you could serve a frozen quiche. That would work too, right? So the point is to open up your home and your life and to make others guess uh, maybe particular people you don't know very well, to make them feel welcome in your home. That's the whole idea, right? And then to see what God might might do with that, right? Um, and I think another example, when we lived in Florida, our church for a while, we we started a kind of a, uh, I, kind of, I guess unofficial, but a hospitality ministry. And so my wife and I uh, were involved and kind of headed that up. And so the goal was to to keep track of visitors people that were coming to the church, and to make sure that they received at least two invitations into different family members' uh, homes for a meal, okay? So that was the goal. And so we had a list of families who would be ready on any given Sunday to, to take in a family, you know, of some visitors. So they would you'd be prepared ahead of time to have enough food to take in, whatever, five or six people uh, into your home. And, uh, and so, and we did that for a while. Now, and I think I think I think it was very uh, profitable and, and 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 helpful. Now somebody could object and say, "Well, you know, uh, shouldn't this just happen organically, right? I mean, shouldn't people we just do this and not have to be kind of organized and structured?" Well, um, you know, I don't I don't think so. I mean, I you know I think to a lot of extent this does happen organically and it should, right? But it can be helpful to be to be organized and specifically to make sure that you don't have. Uh, visitors, maybe even new members of the church that kind of fall through the cracks and they, they're not ministered to by the body as they should. Um, and I was even thinking, I, I did happen, I, I listened to James's message from a couple of years ago and he mentioned something about starting up uh, like an email list or something specifically for people to, to be able to, dip, to show hospitality to others. And I don't know if we ever, Where's James? He's left. I don't know if anything ever was done with that, but I think that's a good idea to try to be organized about to making sure that we're ministering to people, especially people that are new, that are visitors. Okay, so let me conclude. Hospitality then is a Christian virtue that all Christians should possess and demonstrate. Right. And why should we be hospitable? Well, there are several reasons. One, we're commanded to do so several places in the New Testament. Two, uh, it's a test of our Christian character and will be a standard on the day of judgment, according to Matthew 25, right? Number three, it's a requirement of elders, so the church should look for this and any potential elders. Number four, some have entertained angels unawares by entertaining strangers, and so you can, there are blessings that you will receive by inviting people into your home that you would not otherwise receive. Uh, and then number five, hospitality can be a tremendous aid to evangelism, right? So these are reasons that we ought to all seek to excel in this area and pursue it diligently. All right, let me just give you a final quote from this book by Rosaria Butterfield. And I would really encourage you, if you have any interest in studying this out, to read the book. And you could even read her first book about her, her testimony, her conversion, and how, again, this, this simple Christian couple, this pastor and his wife, ministered to her. Uh, loved her. They didn't, they didn't condone her sin. They didn't approve of her sin, but they accepted her and they loved her, right? And they prayed for her and they welcomed her into her, into their home, right? This is what she says. She says, so they would, on Sunday nights, they would have people over. They, uh, this pastor and his wife were very, they had a lot of hospitality anyway. And so they would have people over on Sunday night. They'd have some fellowship. They would sing and they would have a Bible study and they would have, have a, eat some food. And this woman liked to sing. And so that was one of the 
the draws for another draw for her to come is that she enjoyed singing. And so she says, I even practiced at home uh, warming up my voice for our psalm sings. They would sing the psalms and they would sing them in, in harmony. Uh, once I was singing scales as a vocal warm up for psalm singing, my partner, this is, you know, her lesbian partner, looked at me with a cocked eyebrow. What exactly do you do at that cult house? Okay, that, that's how we referred to Ken and Floyd's house, the cult house. Okay, and then she says, I despised them, these Christians, I mocked them, I made sport of our Bible reading and psalm singing, and they loved me and included me and prayed for me. Okay, and ultimately God used that to, to convert someone who, you know, was very unlikely from a human perspective uh, of being converted, right? So may God do that. Same thing in the lives of some of those whom we seek to show hospitality to. Right? Amen? All right, amen. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the very practical instruction it gives us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help, help each of us here to um, strive all the more to show uh, hospitality, Christian hospitality to others, Lord, to to show it to strangers, to those we don't know well, Lord, to show it to one another, to uh, to to show it to those who are lost, Father. And I pray that you might use this as a means of drawing sinners to yourself and saving uh, people, Lord. I pray that you would save our our children and unconverted spouses, Lord. We we just pray that you would work in our lives, in our midst, and uh, draw sinners to yourself. And we. We thank you that you loved us when we were strangers, not only strangers, we were your enemies, but you loved us and sent your son to die upon the cross to, to redeem us and to bring us to yourself. So we bless you, Lord. Help us to, to imitate that in, in, in our own lives. We pray for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.